the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The king invites everyone to the feast. In the final call to the marriage feast, there is no distinction made between good and evil people, like we often do, and we judge people. God invites everyone to come, the good and the bad, because he loves them all. That is Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Don't forget the worship service is held every Saturday at 11 o'clock. We would love to see you there. And we will have details on that as we continue on with today's program. You can also watch the live stream every Saturday at 11 o'clock at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Today on Reaching Your Heart, Pastor Michael Oxentenko brings you the first portion of a message he entitles, The Kingdom Feast and the King's Robe. We hope that you enjoy it. Remember, we'll bring you the next portion the next time we get together, where you can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. Here's Pastor Mike. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we're grateful today for the Son of God. We're grateful that in Jesus, sins are atoned for. Father, we don't explain them away, we give them away. It's a big difference. We're grateful for a right now righteousness in Jesus that's good enough for the judgment day and good enough for every day of our lives. And Father, we're thankful for you and your Son who got it done in the darkness of the cross. So we can have joy and a festival in our lives. We can be happy people. It's huge. Father, we live in an age of fear. Jesus said men's hearts would faint them with fear of what is coming on the world. People close churches down in fear when they could open them and be careful. They could have the spirit of faith. Lord, we want to have faith. We want to be careful, but we don't want to be governed by fear. So bless us this day with Jesus, the fearless one, the lion of the tribe of Judah. In his name, amen. The title of the message this morning is The Kingdom Feast and the King's Robe. It's really based on Matthew 22. If you take your Bibles out and just turn to Matthew 22, that'll be our center of gravity for our study today. I believe that Jesus' parables teach profound truths. In fact, it's not the simple lesson that is the heart of the parable. Christ will interact with the deep message of salvation. He interacts with the gospel profoundly and with prophecy in his parables. And for the shallow reader, they miss it all. Let us ask God's Spirit to enlighten us. Now her name is Bao Bao. And her story appeared on the China Daily News released a few years ago. At the time of the story, she was a 19-year-old girl and she lived in Inner Mongolia. And in the story, she had eaten approximately 1,500 kilograms of mud in a time period over 10 years. Can you imagine that? 1,500 kilograms of mud, chewy mud, eating mud, part of her diet. 
Without apology, she said, I like the taste of mud. You should go with me. Yuck. Ugh. Ah. Well, she got some good probiotics probably from it, but I don't know. That's a hard round for me. Can you imagine a cookbook, mud recipe? She enjoyed a mud like a normal person would naturally enjoy a piece of candy. Give me a piece of mud. But her fascination with mud was not long without some protest. I mean, what self-respecting parent wouldn't say no to this kind of thing? Her mom and dad said, wait, you got to stop doing this. Forget the mud. What about the good food we're preparing? When her family finally took it away, they noticed that their daughter slipped into a deep depression because something about that mud kept her even keel in life. So every day today, Bao Bao eats her mud to foster the illusion of a satisfied and settled life. She craves mud. She loves mud. She lives for mud. I ask you the question today. Are you living for mud? Do you crave mud in your life? Is your walk with God a search for mud or the search for the real stuff, the kingdom feast of God? George Santayana once wrote, Life is neither a spectacle nor a feast. It is predicament. Friend, we live in a world where people eat mud to feel good about life because life is full of predicament. The mud comes in the form of watered-down spirituality, meaningless words that masquerade as truth in the marketplace of science and pseudo-religion. The mud comes to many as a meaningless mush on the midday soap opera. The media governs our culture. Listen, there's a big sucking sound that pulls us toward worldliness. It comes at us on the internet. It comes at us from every quarter. And so to live without mud is hard in the modern era. The mud may be the latest book to be read, your ebook, or the latest film to be viewed at the theater. I believe that godly Christians on the eve of the advent of Jesus Christ should probably eliminate, actually not probably, definitely eliminate the modern theater from their entertainment system. I mean, we don't have it right to claim the righteousness of Christ if we're going to willfully, willfully make the stuff of the world our stuff. Get it out because when Jesus comes back, he wants to see a heart that's undivided. So we live in a world where people have settled for mud instead of the kingdom feast of God. I want the good stuff of God, the kingdom feast at the end of time. Is anybody with me on that? That's what I want. I want to feast on the good stuff. When you live on mud every day, life is neither a spectacle nor a feast. It is predicament. Just before Jesus returns, the Bible says there will be a meaningful and genuine revival at the end of time. There will be a call to the kingdom feast. Open your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 22, and let's look at verse 1. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a marriage feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who invited the marriage feast, And here's the sad part, but they would not come. And again, he sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited, behold, I've made ready my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves are killed and everything is ready. Come to the marriage feast. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a marriage feast for his son. In Daniel 2, the prophet Daniel describes four great world empires and Nebuchadnezzar's dream of a metallic man made of different metals. You know, some people say, Pastor Mike, why do we have to interact with prophecy? And you know what my answer is? It's in the Bible. Is that a good answer? Who inspired the Bible? The Lord Jesus Christ. 
So if Christ wants me to know the gospel of God, why does some smart pastor or theologian tell me I can ignore the book of Daniel? In fact, the only book in your Bible that Jesus said you better know if you want to be ready for the second coming of Christ, is in Matthew 24, when he says, Therefore understand the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Christ says, look, as the gospel goes to the world, Matthew 24, 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a testimony to all the nations, then the end will come. In the very next verse, he says, know the book of Daniel. So I would say, let's know the book of Daniel. Is that fair enough? When we interact with the parables of Christ, to the surprise of many, Jesus is interacting directly with the book of Daniel. So Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a marriage feast for his son. Daniel 2, the prophet Daniel describes four great world empires in Nebuchadnezzar's dream of a metallic man made of different metals. The head of gold in Nebuchadnezzar's dream represents Babylon. 606 BC, the Neo-Babylonian Empire came into existence. The chest of silver represents Medo-Persia, 539 BC. The autumn is when Babylon was overtaken by the Medo-Persian Empire under Darius and Cyrus. The brass or bronze waist symbolizes Greece, 331 BC, the Battle of Arbella. The fourth medal of iron represents the Roman Empire, the Battle of Piedna or Piedna, depending on how you pronounce it. Third Macedonian War, we find Rome gaining control of the Greek world, just like the image, just like the dream in Daniel 2. And finally, modern Europe is ten toes of iron, the Europe that came out of Rome, the divided world. Still Rome, but not unified Rome, a divided Rome, historians tell us, just like Daniel tells us, moving through the Middle Ages to the time of the end we're living in. Modern Europe is ten toes of iron mixed with clay, represented a divided world at the time of the end where some nations are strong as iron and some are weak like clay. We live in the days of mud in the feet of the clay. We live in a mud-like world that is weak and strong. It is not able to go into the future. It represents the kingdoms of the world led by men who are not God. And so the image, which looks like a man, represents humanism, human religion, contrived spirituality, but not God's truth, not God's word, not God's son, not the son of man. And the four great world empires and the divided world of the toes is followed in Daniel 2 by the fifth and final kingdom of God. The fifth kingdom is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And that's what the parable is focusing on. It's drawing our attention to this language in Daniel 2 and Daniel 7. Look at Daniel 2.42. And as for the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. Some evangelists will say Rome fell in 476 AD. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible says it transitioned to a divided kingdom. And the best historians out there say the exact same thing. Rome didn't go away. It just became the divided Europe of the Middle Ages. The language, culture, the Western world was transformed, but it moved into the future without that radical break. The Bible's correct, and so are these better historians like John Bryce's history of the Middle Ages and also, I think, of Edward Gibbons, Fallen to Decline of the Roman Empire, very much stated. Verse 43, As you saw the iron mixed with miry clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage. And he's talking about kings here. But they, the kings, will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. And then verse 44, circle that one. In the days of those kings. See, he's not talking about the days after the monarchies. 
Just as you come to the end of the Middle Ages and the monarchies are still there in the 1800s before the great Treaty of Versailles, when everything changes, we move to the age of modern states. In the days of those kings, in the 1800s implied and verified in the book of Daniel chapter 8 verse 14, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, nor shall its sovereignty be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Now, how does this happen? Look at verse 45. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain. Let's pause there. If something happens at the top of a mountain, is it way down low or way high up? It's way high up. So if you had to use something to symbolize heaven and earth, would the bottom of the mountain be heaven or the top of the mountain be heaven? All right, at the top of the mountain, in heaven, God's holy hill. In fact, Hebrews 12 talks about Mount Zion being God's place of dwelling. At the top of that mountain, which means in heaven, which means at the end of historical monarchies, bringing us into the 1800s, just before World War I, just before the collapse of historical monarchial families of Europe. There were four of them, the Hohabzollerans, the Romanovs, the Ottoman Turks, and the Habsburgs. When these ruling families came down in World War I, this prophecy is impossible. So something happens in heaven at that time, before the modern era, before the shift toward nationalism, or as the world is shifting. And the Bible says, verse 45, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain, that's way high up, by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, A great God has made known to the king what shall be hereafter. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. Now the Aramaic word for stone is a wordplay for the Hebrew word for sun. The Aramaic word for stone is eben. Eben. It's Hebrew word for stone too. But this is Aramaic in Daniel 2. But the word for sun is ben. Eben. Ben. It's a wordplay. The stone sun. Peter said, come to him, that living stone, that living stone, precious in God's eyes. Talks about if you don't come to him, the stone will fall on you and crush you. It's going back to Daniel 2. Christ is the stone. But more than that, when Christ comes, the kingdom comes. Christ is the king to come. And so the kingdom of God, the son of God are all wrapped up in this beautiful imagery. In fact, we know from scripture that God's holy law came from Jesus. It was written on blue sapphire tables of stone. And Paul says that rock that followed them in the pillar of fire and cloud was Christ. And so we have the figure of God's law, of God's kingdom, of the son of God, the Ibn, Ben, wordplay is alive in Hebrew. The mountain represents the kingdom of God that is in heaven. I think of Isaiah chapter 2, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the hills. We'll continue with today's Reaching Your Heart and Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. If you'd like to attend the worship service, I will have details on how you can do that here at the close of our broadcast today, so please stay tuned. You can always attend online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Many archived messages are available there for you, and you can attend the live service in a streaming format at that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Let's continue now with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in today's Reaching Your Heart. God's mountain is God's kingdom. It says all the nations shall flow through it. 
God's people all over the world would discover his kingdom truth at the time of the end. So the mountain represents the kingdom of God that is in heaven. Something happens up there in heaven at the time of the end. The last great world empire is the kingdom of heaven that will be here and never end. It will go on forever and ever and ever. And every kingdom is established shortly before the other one falls. God's kingdom is not established at the second coming. It's established before the fall of the kings of the earth. Just like Medo-Persia was established before Babylon fell. Greece was established before Medo-Persia fell. Rome was established before Greece fell. The ten kings of Europe were in place when they overtook the Roman Empire, transitioned it to the divided Rome of the Middle Ages. God's kingdom is established before the collapse at the end of time in heaven. So the last great world empire is God's kingdom. How many of you want to be a part of a kingdom of mud or you'd rather be a part of the kingdom of God, the stone kingdom? I want to be a part of the stone kingdom. Forget the mud. Now in Daniel 7, the kingdom of heaven is given to the Son of Man. You just read a few chapters on. Son of Man comes in the clouds to the Ancient of Days in a judgment that occurs in heaven at the end of the Middle Ages. And he receives his kingdom because of this loudmouthed little horn that acts like the Son of Man, but isn't. He receives his kingdom as the Son of Man in this pre-Advent judgment at the time of the end. So just like Daniel 2, there are four great world empires. The golden lion represents Babylon, just like the gold on the image. Now some people say, what does silver look like? What color is silver? Is silver shiny or tarnished? Come on, help me with that. It's tarnished. If you go to the thrift store and you look at all those silver things they're selling, they look like brownish black. They look like a bear. They're tarnished. So the tarnished color bear that looks like silver with two sides represents the kingdoms of Medo-Persia. I've looked at leopards and they remind me of bronze. The bronze colored four-headed leopard is Greece that was divided into four parts after the death of Alexander. Like the legs of iron in the image of Daniel 2, symbolizing Rome, the fourth kingdom is the fourth beast with great iron teeth, but it has bronze claws. Why? Because the fourth world empire is the Greco-Roman empire. Rome built its culture on the achievements of Alexander the Great. And so we find Daniel 7, a little more information, that Rome is a Hellenized Greek empire, the fourth world empire. And out of Rome grows ten horns, which match the ten toes of the image of Daniel 2 implied. So they are identified in Daniel 7, 24. We don't have to guess what they are. It tells us they're, they're ten kings. Now, why the number ten? Now, if you're a student of history, you know, you'll have nine, twelve, ten, depending on the time. What is the number ten famous for in your Bible? Help me with this. The Ten Commandments, right? Now, an image is a violation of the Ten Commandments. Where do you bow down and worship an image? Don't do it, but where do many people do it who don't know better? They bow down at the, the feet where the toes are. So God's law, the Ten Commandments, is at odds with the ten kings at the time of the end. It's symbolic in the generalization of the number ten. Rome divides into a western world at odds with the law of God at the time of the end. The Bible says this little horn exercises dominion like a son of man. But it's not the son of man. It's very clear in Daniel 7. He has eyes and a mouth like a man. He blasphemes God. But he's not the hero of Daniel 7. He's a counterfeit son of man in Daniel 7. Thus he is antichrist. 
The little horn in contextually in Daniel 7 is not an atheistic power because he makes bold claims against God. He doesn't deny God. He makes claims against God. And the little horn contextually is that church state kingdom of the Middle Ages that came out of Rome that supplanted three Christian kingdoms. The Visigoths, the Ostrogoths, and the Vandals are the three Christian kingdoms supplanted by this little horn's rise to power. And it claimed to forgive sins, to hold the keys of the kingdom in its hands, because Peter's the rock instead of Jesus for them. Of course, Peter said, come to Jesus, that living stone. But the church of the Middle Ages, that became a kingdom structure, a little horn, a little kingdom, it rose out of the boot of Italy. The kingdom said, no, don't come to Jesus, come to the church. I was recently talking to a member of our church who was telling me that he felt confident that we could do anything we want to, as long as we're the remnant church, that we're going to be okay anyway. Do you believe that? That's nonsense theology. Friend, we are held accountable just like ancient Israel was held accountable. We will either follow God's word or deny it. And thus our personal and corporate destiny is determined. And so the church of the Middle Ages that started out as the church that gave us the Bible became a kingdom in the boot of Italy that merged church and state in ways that corrupted both. Millions of people died as the outcome of that. That kind of thinking is deadly thinking. We are no safer than our fidelity to the Word of God found in the Holy Bible. Dan describes this kingdom as an imposter kind of kingdom that looks like the Son of Man, but it is not the Son of Man. And then the judgment in Daniel 7 sits after 1260 literal years. Something happens way high up in that mountain in heaven. The books are open. The Ancient of Days takes his seat in the heavenly, most holy place chamber of the heavenly sanctuary. And then at the end of the Middle Ages, sometime implied around the time of the 19th century, coming up to the modern era, the Son of Man comes into the presence of God Almighty. And He comes in the presence of God Almighty in Daniel 7.13. It says, I saw in the night visions. And one like the Son of Man came to the Ancient of Days, wrapped in the clouds of heaven, and was brought in before Him. And to Him was given a kingdom, dominion, and glory, that all nations, kindred, tribes, and tongues should serve Him. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, which shall not be destroyed goes on to say, it goes on and on and on and on and on. So what happens in this heavenly judgment? Look at Daniel 7.26. It says, the court shall sit in judgment, and his, that is the little horn power's dominion, shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. Verse 27. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms and of the whole heaven. Now I like this part. You underline it. What does it say? All of that good stuff shall be given. I like the word given. Given to the people of the saints of the Most High. That's the kingdom that matters. The Bible in Daniel 7 is absolutely clear that the kingdom of heaven will be given to the saints of the Most High. I want to be a saint. Now the word saint means those who are separated from the world. Those who are set apart for God and His glory. We do that when we get on our knees in the morning. We fall on our knees. We say, Lord, I'm a sinner by nature. I struggle with evil. But I can be a saint by my faith and prayer and connection to Jesus. And we commit our lives. And guess how He views you? He views you when you do that as if you had never sinned. His white robe of righteousness covers your struggling life. And you are accepted in the Beloved by virtue of the faith you exercise in Jesus. 
They call that righteousness by faith. But in the parable of Matthew 22, 1, Jesus plainly states that the kingdom of heaven is like a marriage feast that the king gave for his son. How many of you like to go to good marriages with good food and the festivity and good Christian music, the right kind of interaction in our culture? Yeah. Aren't they fun? In fact, if you look on your seats here, you see some of that glitter? See that glitter on your seats? Some of you do. How many you see glitter near your seat? Okay. That's from the weddings that have occurred in the church. So remember, we can't get it out of the seats because of the weddings. But boy, it's a good reminder. What a wonderful wedding we had the last one here. The kingdom of feast is not your feast or my feast in the parable. It is God's feast. The kingdom of feast is for God's son. It is given. Now, I quoted Daniel 7, 13, 14. Let's focus in Daniel 7 again. I saw Daniel in the night visions. This is after the Middle Ages and contextually, after the Lahorn, after the ten kings that divide Europe up, that moves us to the modern era. This is what happens in that mountain. When that stone is cut out, when that kingdom is set up, here it is. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one. Now what does it say in your Bible? Just tell me forthrightly, interact with me. One like a son of man. And Jesus uses that terminology to describe him from the beginning of his ministry to the end of his ministry. He wants us to understand that he is the person of verse 13. I saw one like the son of man and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. Now we know in Revelation 1-7, Jesus will come in clouds. But here in Daniel 7-13, he's not coming to the earth in clouds. He's coming to God the Father in clouds, and God the Father is sitting on His throne. Well, that will conclude the first portion of the Kingdom Feast and the King's Robe. Make sure you join us again next time we get together for the conclusion to this broadcast. You can also find this message and many others available for you at reachingyourheart.com. Thanks for listening today. We would really love for you to be a part of our worship service. It's held every Saturday at 11 o'clock. That address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. Or if you're more comfortable, you're certainly welcome to watch online at reachinghearts.org slash video. reachinghearts.org slash video. The live broadcast will be streaming and available for you on that website. reachinghearts.org slash video. Thanks for listening, and we do pray that God is reaching your heart. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.